forever. He's talking about the eternal abode of heaven. He's talking about for the believer looking past this earthly life and seeing God's big picture. So he says for the poor man, he is to glory in his high position, to boast in his exaltation. This word glory, it's the same word that Paul uses in Romans chapter 5, verse 11, where he says, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This rejoicing, it is rejoicing in Our relationship with the Heavenly Father, it's rejoicing in the very presence of God in our lives. In James chapter 2, verse 5, James continues and he he says, Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith? Heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who love Him? You see, this is God's hand in the life of the poor brother, the one in humble circumstances. You see, our high position that he's speaking about, boasting and glorying in this high position, it is the position of our eternal salvation. And so as we said, James' focus here, it's, it's, it's on eternity. He's concerned more about the eternal, estate of, uh, the eternal state of our souls than he is about the temporal estate of our bodies. He's less concerned about earthly dwelling and more concerned about our heavenly dwelling. He's telling us the right perspective is that one that is bigger than this life. It is God-sized and it's eternal. That's the right perspective. You can see why poverty would be a spiritual asset. means to rejoice and to boast in this high position that looks past the circumstances and situation of this this world, this life, that we, the situations we find ourselves in, and it teaches us, it teaches us dependence. And we, when we depend on somebody else, we cannot be proud. We must be humble. When I'm dependent on you to provide for me, there is no room for pride in my life. When we're dependent on God to provide for us, there's no room for pride there. Only humility. So here's, here's the question. How do we ensure a spiritual asset remains an asset? How do we make certain that this spiritual asset of poverty remains an asset in our life? High school student, college student, young couple struggling to make ends meet, struggling to put food on the table. How do we ensure that this spiritual asset that we don't hear much about, poverty, how do we ensure that this remains an asset in our life? And how do we have a proper perspective on this spiritual asset in our life? But just before I give you number one and number two, let me, let me say don't get distracted. Don't get distracted and caught up in the prosperity gospel because that certainly is not the answer. It misses really the whole point of the gospel and I've got to say something about this because it is such a heretical teaching today that we see on TV across the airwaves. The prosperity gospel misses the point of the gospel entirely. The hope of the gospel is the salvation of our souls. It is not the accumulation of wealth. It is not the building of bigger storehouses. The point of the gospel is our salvation. It is experiencing the eternal joy and presence of our Heavenly Father lived out in this life through the Holy Spirit, sanctifying us and growing us 
Christward, heavenward, so that we are being fitted for our heavenly home. That is the point of the gospel. That Christ saves. In fact, Mary's Magnificat, when she sings her praise to the Father, Luke chapter 1, verse 48, she sings in that statement, for he has regard for the humble state, that lowly state of his bondservant, Christ himself being born into a family that had to offer the smallest offering at the Passover. Being born in a stable. Christ himself telling the disciples who would come and follow him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You sure you want to follow me? You see, Scripture paints a clear picture that poverty is a spiritual asset. So, how then do we retain the spiritual asset of poverty and keep it in proper perspective and proper focus? I would say this to our culture, don't lose sight or pursuit, don't lose sight of the pursuit of Christ in pursuit of the American dream. So first off, I would say boast in the hope of our eternal salvation. If we are going to ensure that a spiritual asset remains a spiritual asset, we must first boast in the hope of our eternal salvation, glory in His high position. Boast in that hope, right? Boast in the cross of Christ so that no one can boast before God, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, but that we would boast in Christ, boast in our high position, our eternal salvation, Secondly, hear this, because we miss this today. We must be content. We must learn the secret of contentment. We've got to learn to be content in our lives. That, that means being satisfied in what God provides. Not many of us today pray the Lord's Prayer and depend, like He says, give us this day our daily bread. I mean, think about the ramifications of what Christ is teaching his disciples to pray. God, today we're dependent daily on the bread that you're going to put on our table. Give us this day our daily bread. Nothing more, nothing less. Be content. We must learn the secret of being content. That is being satisfied in God's provision. What he has provided, not wanting for more or or less, but simply being satisfied following his direction. And in the context of what James is saying here, you see, the the path of Christian maturity is is through trials. The, The progress of Christian maturity is through praying for God's wisdom. And the beginning of Christian maturity is with humility, coming before God as humble servants. Poverty is a spiritual asset, but most... People in America don't fall into the category of poverty when we consider the global picture, right? I mean, when we consider the global picture, just travel across the earth, the globe, and by and large, we do not know poverty. I'll spare you the statistics this morning. You can certainly go and look them up, but Globally speaking, America is the most prosperous nation probably in the history of the world. 
And thus, Americans today, we are among the most prosperous people that have walked the face of the earth, are we not? And so we see that poverty is a spiritual asset, but the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. He's, he's physically placed, she is physically placed in a position to see their humility in life and therefore reflect upon their humility before God. But we also need to see this morning that wealth is a spiritual liability. Wealth is a spiritual liability. Doesn't mean it has to be, but, but it is. And I think for the American church, the church in America, this is perhaps the greatest. If not the greatest, it certainly is one of the most important issues in our spiritual lives. On the front of the worship guide, you see that, that verse, right? Did you, did you see it in Matthew chapter 6, verses 20 and 21? But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your, what? Your heart will be also. You see, here's the reality. Where our treasure is, that, that's reflective of our heart. And in such a prosperous culture and society, such a prosperous nation, it's very easy for us to be sucked into this liability, spiritual liability, that we begin trusting more in our wealth than we do in God, that we begin daily trusting in ourselves to provide our daily needs and not trusting in God. And so we, we must be careful. The first point I think we need to see about wealth as a spiritual liability is letter A, wealth blinds us from our true spiritual condition. Look in verse 10. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation because like flower and grass he will pass away. Now, this says a lot about the condition of man that we are transient, that we're here for a moment and then gone. We are not here for forever. Our lives are but a blink of a, a twinkle of the eye and then, we are, then we're gone. But here he says the rich man is to glory in his... Which is the complete opposite of the poor man glorying in his exaltation. The rich man is to glory in his humiliation. And it... Wealth blinds, the point that wealth blinds us from our true spiritual condition is seen in this verse. And if the brother is to glory in his humiliation, this means that one day all of these riches pass away and what is left, what is left is our soul standing before God carrying nothing in our hands before Him, carrying nothing of what we have, simply coming before Him with who we are, naked, standing before God with naked in the sense of we have nothing of our accolades, nothing of our wealth to bring before God. We are just there before Him. And so the rich man is to glory in his humiliation. Literally, it means to be one who is, who is beggarly before God. It means to come to God as one is who, who is completely and utterly dependent upon God for everything. You see the plight of the rich man. If he is to glory in his humiliation, it is very difficult when we have so much wealth to glory in our humiliation and not in our wealth. 
You see, the rich man doesn't know what it means to ask God to give us what we need for this day. In fact, many of us, we, we know the plight of the rich man's position. We, we know that, that it's easy to trust in the things that we have. And James is teaching us that we are not to trust in riches. We're not to trust in, in the ease and the comfort of life. We're not to trust in power, our position, our, our prestige. Rather, we are to trust in God. And so it blinds us from our true spiritual condition. And our true spiritual condition is this, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins before holy God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. That we are dead in our trespasses and sins before we know Christ. And as believers, that we are to be completely and utterly dependent upon God. And you see, to glory in one's humiliation is the call of Christ, the same thing that, that he issued back in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 and verse 5, when he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That one who is poor in spirit is one who, who comes before God recognizing, I don't deserve to be here. Recognizing, I, it's not my place to be in God's presence. I don't deserve it. I'm unworthy. And so the one who is poor in spirit recognizes that he or she has no claim, no claim to come into God's presence, but it is only by God's grace that we arrive in His presence. So to glory in our humiliation means that I denounce everything that I've accumulated in this life. means for the wealthy man, the rich man, that I, I denounce everything, and I'm completely and utterly dependent and trusting upon God to bring me into His presence, not trusting upon anything that gets me favor with anybody in this world because of what I have, but simply trusting in God and God alone, trusting in my relationship with Christ, and glorying in that. When we do that, we're humble before God. We don't depend upon ourselves. We depend upon God. We depend upon Him, trusting in Him alone. And you see, the reason that poverty is a spiritual asset and wealth is a spiritual liability is because the poor brother is in a much humbler position and it advances him in recognizing the glory and the supremacy of God in light of his own position before God, a lowly sinner, not the exalted tax collector but the lowly sinner who comes before God, beating his breast, saying, Father, forgive me, for I'm unworthy. We have no entitlement when it comes to the kingdom of God. We're all on equal ground, every one of us, before God's throne. And what matters in light of eternity and in our souls, is, is Jesus Lord? Is He Lord in my life? Have I surrendered my life to Him? Is everything in my life, my wealth, my possessions, where I go, the job that I do, does it all point back to the glory of God and is it used in proclaiming God's glory? I love the hymn, Rock of Ages, And I I think it encapsulates what we're saying, what I'm saying this morning. Rock of ages, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. 
Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Complete and utter trust upon God. Wealth is a spiritual liability and wealth can blind us from our true spiritual condition. Letter B, wealth can also give us a false hope. We've talked a little bit about this and referenced it. Wealth can give us a false hope. Look at the second part there in verse 10. Because like flower and grass, he will pass away. Verse 11, for the sun rises with a scorching wind or heat and it it withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed, right? So that beauty, that earthly, um, the aesthetics there, it, it, it all goes away. It's all taken away. Like the sun comes out and... And during a time of drought, it beats down and it kills the grass so that the grass in the front yard is brown and dead and ugly. It's no longer green and nice. And in the same way, the transient nature of the worldly wealth that we accumulate, it passes away. It's burnt up. The things which the world values, it is burnt up and it goes. And this is the false hope that Wealth gives us that we can trust in these things to get us by. We can trust in these things so that we can arrive. We can trust in these things to grant us uh, eternal life or these things distract us just enough so that we are no longer concerned with the scope of our eternity. Rather, we are focused upon living now, accumulating all that we can now, building up the big storehouses now, so that later on, when we pass away, all of these things are gone. And what's left when we stand before the throne of God is our soul, Nothing that we've accumulated, just us before God. And what have we done with the things which he has entrusted to us? I want to encourage us that we not, that we not be distracted by the false hope of wealth. In fact, in James 4.14, later in James, and we'll get to it, He says, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. You see, this this life which we live now, we we won't live forever. We have 90 years, 100 years at best, 70, 100. Whatever day God decides to take my life, I'm done. Consequently, or conversely, until he takes my life, I'm not done. And so we, we have this hope of God in our lives. We don't know when it will be that he'll take us home. But we, we need to recognize that all of these things will pass away. Verse 10. Because like flower and grass, he will pass away. All of these things are destroyed. It falls off, verse 11. So too, get this, so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. 
I hope that we put in proper perspective this morning that which we ought to be pursuing and those things which we ought not be pursuing. How we should be pursuing God and how we are to use what He has so richly blessed us with in pursuit of Him and spreading His fame and His name. So here's the question. How do we turn a spiritual liability into a spiritual asset? We see how to keep a spiritual asset, a spiritual asset, but how do we turn a spiritual liability into a spiritual asset? And the first thing I would say is, number one, we we, we must confess our true spiritual condition. Don't be blinded to our true spiritual condition. Rather, confess it. God, humbly, I come before you. I need you. I don't want to trust in the stuff that that the world says is important. I want to trust in you. I want to follow you. Help me not be blinded to my true spiritual condition. That is, I need you. But secondly, that we would use our wealth to spread the glory of God. And so there's an assumption this morning based upon the nation that we live in, based upon um, the time that we live in, and based upon the global grand scale that we are a prosperous people. And because we are a prosperous people, it's very important that we that we seek to make this spiritual liability a spiritual asset, that we seek to guard our lives against being blinded from the false hope, against being blinded to our, uh, our, our, our spiritual, true spiritual condition, that we would see this and that we would use our wealth to spread the glory of God. Not to increase our own glory, but to spread the glory of God. <clears throat> I think we would, we would say that as a, as a church, we, we do this. As a church, we seek to, to carry this out, to spread the gospel. We seek to sacrificially use the money of the church in order to minister. That as a, as a church, we, uh, we model what it means to, uh, to give and to support ministry and to bring the gospel to the nations. In fact, as, as, as I was praying and my wife was praying, as we were praying about, about coming here uh, and, and moving and, and just planning our lives here, one of the things that excited us greatly about God calling us here was the fact that Crosspoint is a church that is engaged in missions. Crosspoint is a church that really wants to, to, to impact not only, not only local, but, but on a global scene, impact our, our communities, impact our city, but also impact the nation with the gospel. I, I believe that. I see it. I see it as, uh, as I, I, I've been privileged just to see the mission that has, has taken place. Uh, I, I see it as, um, as an exciting time where, uh, where, where it shows that as a church we value the way that God has created the church and why God has created the church. We value fellowship. We, we value discipleship. We value the mission that God has given the church. 
And so these are, these are exciting things to me. And we are to proclaim the gospel and make disciples of the nations. And I know for several families, for many families, this begins in our homes. It's supposed to begin in our homes. And as we, as we engage our community through serving, it happens when we, when we share life together on Wednesday nights in home groups. And if you're not a part of a home group, I want to encourage you to be part of a home group. It happens when we, uh, when we meet up here on Saturday and, and folks go out to serve uh, in, in a homeless shelter or they go out to, uh, to serve and to meet the needs of people in the community. It occurs when we gather for corporate worship on Sunday mornings. It happens when we gather and, and meet for discipleship on, on Sunday nights. It happens when we send out a, listen, when we send out a core group from, from Cross Point and we send them across the city to replant a church in mid-city called Grace. I mean, this is tremendous. This is a vision for seeing God's, God's glory made known, not only locally in our communities, in our homes, but also internationally, globally, throughout the world. This is huge. I think it's right on. It doesn't mean that there's not room for improvement, but it means that this is what God has called us to do. And as a church, corporately, we are, we are, we are facilitating the gospel, going out to the nations, and God is using Crosspoint to reach the nations with the gospel. And these are sacrificial works that are done locally. They're done in an internationally. Think about it. Crosspoint financially supports missionaries, seminary students, Seminaries, Uganda Baptist Seminary, collegiate students and collegiate ministries, seminary students. I mean, Crosspoint financially supports these things. It reaches to Mexico, Brazil, Uganda, and other places I'm sure that I just haven't found out yet. I mean, the resources that come to Crosspoint from God's people collectively giving, it reaches the nations. It is impact. It's making disciples. It's carrying out the great commission that God has called us to carry out. Now, I don't mention this so that we can pat ourselves on the back, but just so that we can have an accurate picture of how God is using us using Crosspoint to impact the nations. Get, the, get the, how God is using the wealth of Crosspoint to impact the nations. What James is saying here, for the brother of humble circumstances, glory in his high position, the rich man is a glory in his humiliation. We, we know that we cannot reach the nations in our own power and our own strength but we simply allow God to work. We, we submit to God so that He works through us. And as I, see, as I see us, the church, putting both our money and our people in line with the pursuit of God's glory, the pursuit of God's glory fuels our faith and it fuels our giving glory to God and it fuels our worship of God. And so corporately, I, this is what's happening. This is where the church is. There's a, there's a personal challenge here as well. Christian, how, how are you using your wealth for the glory of God? We say right on. That's what the church needs to be doing. We're doing it. Yes, we're doing it. Yes. Personally, how 
Ask the question, how, God, evaluate me. Evaluate my checkbook, Father. How am I using the resources that you have given me so graciously given me? How am I using that for your glory? There are many opportunities to put our faith into practice. And it happens through worship, through, through giving back to God what He has so richly blessed us, through generously giving back to God which He has so generously given us. And personally, we understand that it's God's desire globally for, for the nations to hear the message of the gospel, to experience, to have redemption. And I want to submit to you this morning that that is going to require wealth of the church in America in order to take the global message of the gospel to the global peoples of the earth. And I just want to challenge us this morning personally as we look at God's word and we see that wealth is a spiritual liability. Is this Brother and sister, is this a liability in our lives? Or is this a way that we are serving God? Are we serving Him through generously providing and giving to others? Are we serving Him through generously contributing to the needs of the saints? Are we serving Him through generously or or giving faithfully to the ministry of the church so that the church can make disciples of the nation so that we all in part take part and we supply and we support the need and the work and the mission that's happening? It takes faith. It takes faithful commitment. So I want to challenge us this morning as we consider whether or not our wealth is a spiritual liability, and if it is, that it be turned into an asset for God's kingdom, or if our wealth is being used as a spiritual asset, are we humbly coming before God, not depending on ourselves, but depending upon Him? It was Corey Tin Boone who, in a conversation with Chuck Swindoll, told Chuck, she said, I've learned to hold everything loosely. Because when God pries it from my fingers, it doesn't hurt as bad. So I, I just want to challenge us this morning. Consider this. Consider God's word this morning. And ask ourselves this question. How am I using my resources for God's glory and for his kingdom? I want to pray. And ask you just to reflect on that today, this morning. Um, and we're going to move into a, a time of our, um, of our offering, I mean of our uh, Lord's Supper. And uh, as we do, it, it's of vital importance that we make sure that our hearts are clean before God. That is, if He has revealed any sin in our life, we want to make certain that we confess that sin before we come to partake of the bread and the cup, as we seek to exalt the Lord Jesus and celebrate His redemption. Let us pray. Father, we come before You now, humbly, confessing, God, that we do not, we do not deserve to be in your presence, we do not deserve the, 
gift of salvation that you have given us. But Lord, we are so thankful. We're so thankful for the truth of your word and so thankful for your grace that enables us to grow in your word. And Lord, we certainly want to continue to grow as mature believers and grow and be shaped and fashioned and formed into the likeness of Christ. And so, Lord, help us this morning to consider humility. Help us this morning to consider that which you have given us, not as that which should hold us back in serving you, but that which should propel us forward in serving you. Thank you, Lord, for the blessings in our lives. Lord, let us return that blessing to you with praise and exaltation and submission to your divine leading and your prompting so that, Lord, you would be exalted, you would be high and lifted up, and others would see the way that you work in and through our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As our deacon-